Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Oh, tonight we got them. Goldie, the Sulk, and JC. And it starts right now. Oh, welcome back to another episode of A Typical Disgusting Display, a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing. Goldie, the buzz all week has been about your Golden Globes monologue Mm -hmm. that you came up with in a half hour and was... incredible. 20 times better than what the actual Golden Globes monologue was. I've heard from literally many people about how impressed they were. People we've worked with, David Goodman reached out to me. You know, I was I was actually giving David Goodman shit during the Emmys last night. And he's like, I'm not watching. I'm listening to Goldie's monologue. It's unbelievable. It is so unbelievable. that was nice. And I, I'm sure you saw some of the comments on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike D's buddy Rep wrote a very funny comment saying like, Something to the effect of Goldie made up for it with that Golden Globes <laughs> monologue, which I have no idea what you were making up for, but I love that he just leaded with that. Um, leaded. But it was so funny, and I was thinking all week, uh, I was laughing all week, rather, about the the Oppenheimer joke of going in on a first date, and by the time you're leaving, <laughs> yeah. she's asking where this relationship is going. So funny. So with that in mind, the Emmys were last night. And I know there was also playoff football. I myself was switching back and forth. But I wanted to, I made a point of like, I want to watch the opening monologue just because we've been, you did your monologue. We've been talking about monologues a, a lot recently. And I thought they did a great job because it was, okay, it was Anthony Anderson uh, from Blackish was the host. And since it was the 75th Emmys, they were doing all night like a tribute to the great television shows uh you know of all time they had a, a cheers thing um oh. they, they they just did they had uh, tina and amy came back to do an snl weekend update they uh honored the cast of martin they were all there it, it was just it was really nice and so what i thought they did so well in this monologue that the golden globes did not get right was the golden globes got up and joe coy was kind of doing uh like a a worse version of ricky gervais where he got up there and he was doing a little sort of insulty shtick about the nominees and it did not play well 
what they did on the Emmys. And this is, <laughs> I mean, this was a lesson that television taught to the movies. So what they did on the Emmys was they weren't do they're not there to shit on anyone. They were there to warmly embrace and make everyone feel good about what we had done. Anthony Anderson is a very likable, charismatic guy. He did not get up there and, uh, you know, rat-a-tat-tat insults. What he did was said, he said, uh, we're celebrating television tonight. He sat down behind the piano. They had a choir come out and they instantly break out into the theme from Good Times. And then they they sort of segued into the theme from I forget it was like Cheers and you know they did just a bunch of that yeah. and I, I at the end of the monologue I was feeling like I'm so happy right now yeah, that just felt like a warm blanket that they just gave me from TV so it's sort of a, a lesson in like okay you don't always the Ricky Gervais model may just apply to Ricky Gervais. Right. And maybe there's another way to go with some of these monologues where, you know what, just come out there and make everybody feel good. And that's okay. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if any of you two saw the Emmys or had any thoughts on that, but I just felt like it was a, a, a nice way, a nice response from the television industry. It sounds nice. Well, first of all, I was watching the football game and, yeah. um, so I don't have any jokes, but this week I have 30 plays that the Eagles should have run yeah. <laughs> that I want to just go through. First joke of the day. First joke of the day. X, Y, fly right. Come out, you, you go right into a screen. Okay. Yeah, you got to. You got to. Uh, you get the defense flowing one way, you go the other way. Well, look, one of my theories, and I don't know whether I've said it on this podcast or not, is everyone wants comedy until they get it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's maybe a misconception that like, you know, you'll come out and you'll keep it light and you'll make a little bit of fun of it. But the second you say, you know, Clint Eastwood and it's like, no, yeah, <laughs> no, not him. No, our sacred idol, you know, May, December. That was a great film. Uh, yeah, how dare you? You, you know, so uh, sure. I mean, going out there and playing the piano and giving a concert and telling one how awesome they are. It's kind of a cheat code. Like, I, I, I don't have a it worked. It's I'm sure it <laughs> yeah, worked. It it's not comedy. It. Uh, but right. you know what? There, it's entertainment. They they yes. did put some jokes in it, but they weren't jokes about like, hey, this person's weird. That thing kind of sucked. It was more just like incidental jokes in in a kind of uh, dinner theater type setting, which doesn't right. sound sure. great. But it was it was very nice, and I thought. My 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 cap is off to the producers of that show for. for I mean, it's a little choice. outlandish that we take what are these trade shows essentially for <laughs> you know excellence within a trade or craft, and then expect them to be national entertainment events, right? Right. Uh, because it's any other industry, you would just go like, who would care? You know, who the industrialist of the year is, or right, whatever. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. It's all fine. It's not. I mean. Listen, I've been doing this since 2002. I've never even sniffed an award of any kind. So <laughs> smell great. At, at this point, my interest in it is so, I mean, I'm so far afield of that part of it that I, I don't know. I can't look at it accurately. So 
of course, if you let me in there, I would just insult everyone in the room out of anger. <laughs> but that's not everyone's reaction. Uh, right. so, you know, like, I don't want to see them honored particularly. I want to <laughs> see them taken down because I'm jealous and angry and hate them all. And I don't genuinely, I think most of their work is genuinely terrible. <laughs> and, and it just gets amplified. And then we all go into this collective psychosis of, oh, that was... You know, whenever you start hearing words like, you know, a tapestry, it's like, well, how is it a, a fucking tapestry of anything? Or it's or, like these words they use of these words of acclaim. Are, they're, they're so nebulous and meaningless and they're indications that either no one understands it or it's bad except to a few people. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or that they're scared of saying anything about it because of the backlash that it would be viewed as an attack on on a on a group and and you it would paint you as aligned with a set of beliefs that that would horrify you right right, right. so like a, the word a triumph if you see anything as a triumph it isn't right. it's not a triumph okay it's a movie that might be good it's not oh a triumph like a triumph means you were fucking bored. Right. <laughs> That's a good a good deconstruction of triumph. Yeah. Um, so something else that I noticed that that happens a lot in these situations is, you know, 75th anniversary of the Emmys. Okay, we're we're celebrating. We're celebrating all, everything that happened 30 years ago or more. <laughs> right. right. So we're, we're and we're honoring legends and a lot of them are here. So, you know, oh. there, yeah. Can I just say the one thing I did see? Yes. Because my wife called me in was the in memoriam reel. And the whole thing started on Norman Lear's stupid fucking hat. Oh, God. <laughs> so instantly she was she called me in to say like, oh, I know this is kind of like a more interesting part. But then I was like, I saw the hat. Everything went fucking white oh, no. and then i just in instantly enraged her by making fun of the whole thing <laughs> well yeah you can't no one's like oh his hat that <laughs> stupid hat he wore everywhere like that was the one bad decision he made was wearing that dumb hat <laughs> and now you're going like oh remember the hat like no, I remember all the great things he did. I hated the hat personally. I'm glad the hat's gone. <laughs> oh, the hat's still here, my friend. I miss the man. I don't miss his poor hat choice. <laughs> well, yes, you cannot be held responsible for anything that you say after seeing that hat. We we get that. <laughs> but, but one of the things, but that the rest of America yeah. would go like, not the hat. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, well, I know how to get him. We'll show the hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it brings a tear to your eye, that hat, every time. But what, what, one of the things they do in these situations, which they definitely did last night way too many times, was it would be like, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Carol Burnett. You know, and then you get the predictable yeah. uh, standing ovation. Yeah. She comes out from behind the curtain. Everybody's sussing out, like, is, uh, how does she look? Is she, how is she speaking? And, and she, she looked good, and she sounded good. But the thing is, it's like Carol Burnett comes out. 
gives like a little, you know, 30 second speech about her show and, the, you know, the history of television and all the greatness and how happy she was. And I'm that, 50 and I'm 51. I barely remember that, but sure. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then it, it rolls instantly from like, and for 11 years on CBS and 40 million people a night and blah, blah, blah. And now here are the nominees for best supporting actress in a limited series or event. And then, so it goes right from Carol Burnett, this greatness to like a winner that you've never heard of who rushes the stage like uh, Kyle Juszczyk, a, a fullback in the NFL, like stiff arms Carol Burnett out of the way to get her award and then is giving a speech and you see Carol Burnett sadly shuffling off into the wings. And it's just like, you get this impression of TV is like, okay, you were the queen for over 10 years. You ruled television and now you have 30 seconds and you're gone. Oh yeah. It, it would be so great sad. if they just were like, and here's Mr. Beast. Yeah, you know, right, like right. Everyone in the world is losing their mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, anyway, boy, boy, this is, this is clearly the time of year for our industry where we get to watch a lot of this stuff. Um, Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. But uh, now is the time of the show where we get to wreck it by doing some Johnny jokes. Rob Hollywood, home of legends and triumphs. And here is Johnny. Yes, and we are back. Okay. By the way, all those legends, they all paid like eight grand for their mansions in Bel Air. I know. <laughs> then they act like, you know, I don't know what's wrong with people of today. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Shut up, you legend. Uh, all right. Lucky legend. You got out of here. Pico was farmland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, it's, you know, I don't get the anger. <laughs> <laughs> Pico was farmed with like five million less pe- people here. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's get into it. Oh, maybe you heard this story. Uh, the makers of Fruit Stripe gum have announced that the brand will be discontinued. That's sad. Uh, one insider said the news was intense for about 12 seconds, then faded away to nothing. Oh. <laughs> Fruit Stripe, that's the way that was your experience with Fruit Stripe. <laughs> oh, here's a complex story out of the Middle East. Taking a page out of the Vietnamese playbook, Ooh. sex workers in Yemen 
are being told to seduce American soldiers should there be a land invasion. Uh, the reports are unconfirmed, but for now, all soldiers are being advised to avoid Ruthie the Toothy Houthi. Ruthie the Toothy Houthi. Houthi? Like hussy? Houthi, I think, is the name of the uh, new terrorist group who we're fighting down oh, there. Oh, God. Let's, uh, let's open a paper there, JC. Okay. Paper! Paper! <laughs> open a newspaper. Uh, oh, all right. Now let's see on this next one. I need a, I need a prop. Oh, okay. these are the best. Paper here. Okay, here's a here's a Karnak. Uh, oh. Ted Kennedy, Killers of the Flower Moon, and the Dallas Cowboys. Can't rip a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> Name a boozer, a snoozer, and a loser. Oh. Uh, boozer, a snoozer, and a loser. Yes, and going right into the next story, the Dallas Cowboys. Lost to the Packers last week, continuing their disappointments in the postseason. Uh, things are so bad in Dallas. How, How bad, bad are, are they? they? Things are so bad that after the game, the team bus was diverted through Dealey Plaza. <laughs> uh, they are so bad that NASA is asking struggling astronauts to now say, Dallas, we have a problem. <laughs> they are so bad that Debbie is now doing Green Bay. <laughs> Good job. Great. Johnny, too. Thank Great you. Great job. <laughs> it's funny we're going right into this. Uh, this week, an unprecedented cold spell Ooh. is sweeping through Los Angeles. It's so cold. How, <laughs> How cold, cold is, is it? it? It's so cold, the movie May-December changed its name to November-January. <laughs> it's so cold, Bradley Cooper is wearing a prosthetic jacket. <laughs> it's so cold, even Joe Coy has relative heat. <laughs> Not planned that was. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, a woman is claiming she now has lifelong diarrhea after taking Ozempic. Huh. So Ozempic makes you Jewish? Okay. The FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA. Yes, is making a push to hire people with intellectual disabilities and severe psychological problems. Oof. Uh, the agency is having a hard time finding anyone with those conditions because they're already working for American Airlines. <laughs> uh, this week, Germany, this week, Germany warned that Russia is preparing to start World War Three. Uh, an official German spokesman said. That's our job. <laughs> and finally, Norm Sneed, the former quarterback for the New York Giants, died at 84. Yeah. And next year, he'll be starting for the Cowboys. <laughs> oh, great batch. Great stuff. Oh. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Friends, listeners, we're excited today because we have an old friend here. (laughs) And now someone who, like many people in our lives, has just skyrocketed past us (laughs) on the Hollywood ladder. Uh, Today we are going to be talking to writer Michael Kennedy, and he has written movies, actual movies. We're stuck in a small screen. He's on the big screen. The excellent horror film, Freaky, so funny and scary uh, in 2020 with Vince Vaughn. And now he's just released It's a Wonderful Knife, which is another incredibly fun, scary thrill ride uh, that was out in theaters. And now you can get it on Amazon and other places. On TV with the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's back on TV where we all belong. Um, you can get it on Amazon and a few other places that I'm too old to figure out, but Amazon is a safe bet for people like me. Folks, please welcome Mr. Michael Kennedy. Michael, how are you? Good. Thanks, dude. Welcome. And we were, we were just talking before we, uh, we went on air here. Um, tell the folks what glamorous location you're in right now. I am, I fleed to the cleave, as they say on 30 Rock. (laughs) I'm in Cleveland. This is yes. Yeah. And now yeah. Cle- Cleveland is your hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. So that's where I'm from. So growing up in Cleveland was the goal to get out of Cleveland? Uh, yeah. About mid, you know, once I entered my teen years and, you know, I started, I, I weirdly loved, I loved Cleveland growing up until I was you know, at that age when everyone else figured out I was gay before I did, uh, right. <laughs> and, uh, was started to get hammered all the time with teasing and stuff like that. So, yeah, yes, yeah, so I wanted to get out of there for that. But then I eventually um, fell in love with film as a teenager. Yeah. Uh, ah. And knew I wanted to come out to L.A. to, to do that at some point. Wow. Okay. You knew. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I saw Scream when I was 16 and it was the first scary movie I ever saw. Weirdly enough, I didn't grow up watching scary movies. They scared me too much. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That yeah, my brother, actually, when I was like eight years old, I remember him sitting down to watch Halloween back in the day when you could like turn your TV on on a Saturday afternoon and like something on syndication would be playing. Right. Yeah. And I like freaked. I had to leave the room after like two minutes. Uh, and I would get scared of like commercials and stuff, too. Yeah, I'm like that. <laughs> yeah. So like <laughs> I High school friends tricked me into seeing Scream and thank God they did because it like completely, I was wow. obsessed with it immediately. And well, I walked it, out of the theater and saying, I'm going to make one of those one day. So that's, that's amazing. That's amazing because yeah. you, not, you, you have and you, yeah, continue, it's nuts. <laughs> and you continue to now, but I wanted to, and let's talk about it since we're talking about it. So Scream 
clearly, if you watch your movie yeah. Freaky and It's a Wonderful Life, Scream has had a, a big impact on you. Very much so. Um, but there's there's a difference. You have changed it. You have twisted it, which I which I love because it's one thing to see Scream and say I love that, and then you make just a carbon copy. But you haven't done that. And something that I've noticed about both of your films, where Scream took the horror genre sort of uh, it deconstructed it, turned it on its head, made it kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, so it was a funny horror thing, which felt new at the time. Mm -hmm. And it seems like what you do, and tell me if this was part of your plan, it's almost like, yes, you've done what Scream did to horror movies, but you've also added this element, which is a Hallmark movie. <laughs> it, it, it feels like your movies are set in these like idyllic locales. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, cool. they kind of fool you into thinking like, oh, this has the vibe of like a warm, comfy Hallmark movie. And then you turn that on its head. Was that something when you went into it, you said, yes, I want to do Scream, but I want to add this extra element to it. Yeah. I mean, for Knife, especially, it was completely like the first 20 minutes we talked a lot about how it was supposed to play like a Hallmark Christmas movie. Right. Yeah. Uh, freaky, not so much, but freaky. The I think the it kind of gives the Hallmark vibe just because uh, I worked on that with Chris Landon, who right. did um, Happy Death Day, which, right. you know, is in a very similar mode. And he has a lot of heart in his work. And I put a lot of emotion and heart into my work, too. So, like, I think that vibe comes across a little bit because there is a like an emotional current rolling through freaky surprisingly like totally. when people see that movie they're like wait a minute i cried and it's like <laughs> right. you know, like, yeah like we, so like yeah there's like a kind of a coziness to them well tell tell the folks because i remember when you were talking about freaky way before it came out when you were starting to write it or you had yeah. the idea for it and tell the folks because i i was sold on this inst instantly tell the folks what your original title for freaky was uh freaky friday the 13th that oh. is such a great title i cannot believe wow. that you didn't win that that so, Who, what happened there that was i mean it was the title all the way through shooting it was the title and post right um and then we got a cease and desist from uh. disney Oh, um, oh, yeah. for Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday, yeah. Paramount, whoever owns Friday the Thirteenth. Paramount, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about Friday the Thirteenth. And it, <laughs> the thing is, though, is like you can't copyright a title. Like oh. you, you can use any title. Like you can repeat someone's title. But I think, uh, from what I recall, I think Universal is like it's just not worth the trouble. Like, yeah. oh, I see. You know, I think <laughs> to Disney go up against Disney and paperwork and money yeah. and that kind of stuff. So right. Chris Landon had the idea of just shortening it to freaky, which I think well, it, it it does. It does work. And yeah, you, yeah, you, you don't want to see the title uh, Kennedy and DeSantis v. Disney. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you want to be involved in that. I don't want to share anything with DeSantis. All right. Now, so talk for a minute because, boy, I mean, Vince Vaughn was so great so, in freaky. Uh, so talk a little bit about did you have him in mind or how did that come about with Vince Vaughn? Yeah, we uh, weirdly enough, when we were writing the script, we had Catherine Newton in mind for Millie, who ended up being in the movie. And then we had a couple people in mind for The Butcher and Vince was one. And I remember Chris saying, we'll never get both. We'll be lucky if we get one. We'll probably get neither of them. Right. Up, Incredible. Yeah, we ended up getting both. 
But weirdly with Vince, it was the, his agency was pushing him really hard to Chris. So like once that started happening, we knew that we had a really wow. good shot at getting him for the film. Wow. And at the time he was looking to do, cause he had, he had kind of started doing like those hardcore, like gritty indie films there for a minute. Yeah. Right. And he was looking to come back and do like a studio comedy at the time. Amazing. So like it was perfect timing. He read the script and loved it. So he was like, get me in that movie to his reps. And Chris was like, we were already thinking about him. So they met once. How does and- that dance start? Do you think like how many scripts is he looking at at a given time? And I would think a lot, right? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I can't imagine he didn't have several on his desk that he was looking at, but who knows? It always surprises me when you find out that like, you know, some major stars, like I'm sitting around waiting for a script and I don't So it's like it. he's in a script restaurant and he's basically like <laughs> yeah, got a menu. From the menu. Yeah. yeah and, and he just sort of then picks whatever and that you think they schedule that for him. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm assuming so. I mean, because Chris and him shared the same agency, too. So I'm sure that probably was part of it. I'm sure internally WME was like, who do we have that we can yeah. push and for the movie? I wouldn't know. I was there years and I never encountered a <laughs> single celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking. I literally have no idea. <laughs> so describe a little bit. Because you must have been just kind of over the moon when oh, yeah. when when shooting actually started on Freaky. And so describe like watching Vince on his day one. And, and did you have this feeling like, oh, fuck, yes. <laughs> yeah. So the first first scene we shot was Vince with uh, Nyla and Josh. So Celeste O'Connor and Misha Osharovich, who played the, the best friends. Yeah. It was the three of them in the bathroom. So the bathroom right. scene. Yeah, like right after they figure out that Millie's telling them the truth and she's stuck in this dude's body. <laughs> and I think it was like the second take, he was flopping his dick. That was like the first scene of the movie. It was like him flopping his dick and saying stuff. <laughs> yeah. And I gagged. I like like cackled out loud. And I like because I forgot where I was. And I was like was laughing out loud and like they had to yell cut. <laughs> my laugh was being recorded and chris landon thank god he was so nice he was like we're really filming laugh <laughs> out loud until he yell cut so i remember that on the first like the first 10 minutes and yeah it was nuts it was just like the thing i remember being most struck by was that um his real life personality is just like his character in old school and all those old great like wedding crashers and shit like he's really that guy yeah did you have to fight to be on set or were they they just wanted you there because i know sometimes they it's not totally typical for the right no it wasn't it what what the situation was is i i I paid my own way the studio was never going to let me on set and i asked the director because he's a good friend of mine and i said do you mind if i come it's my first movie i really want to learn as much as that's outlandish i know (laughs) and he uh he said yeah like come for the whole shit for little shit. In fact, I stayed with him, so I didn't have to like pay for my own housing and shit too. He's like, stay in my house. Like, incredible. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. yeah see, for me, it, it was like, uh, you know, yeah, on Ted, were you there? On Ted and Ted too. Well, Seth, Seth is different with his writers because he he wants them there in case right. you know we need to like come up. And Goldie was uh, on set for uh, a couple of those movies too, where if he needs jokes, you know, he wants you there. But like by the time we got to Ted too. 
I was like as far away from set as possible until <laughs> until I was summoned. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm 10 minutes away. I'd be like an hour and a half away. But <laughs> it it you do have this feeling like, oh my God, I want to be there for the magic. And then like on the first late night, you're like, oh God, get yeah, me you realize here. how boring it can be. Yeah. 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 I, I really loved it though, because like Chris partly through is like, I'm so glad you're here because I ended up having we we had some weird shit happen. We had weather delays. Um, in Atlanta, we had a day where we lost, we lost a day to the wind. Like the wind was so high that we couldn't. Uh, and, stuff. Wow. and then we had like a tragic accident, like, like this weird, like thing happened with our, one of our crew people. That was like a, just a crazy accident. So we lost a location. Wow. And we had to find a new location for two days later. And so, so like, I thank God I was there. Cause I was able to like rewrite. Oh, wow. scenes and stuff. And then like during the shoot, we realized, oh, we don't have a wrap up scene for our kids like the kid characters we didn't have a scene with them at the end of the movie we realized right so we wrote that on the fly one day um Incredible. like 12 hours before he was going to shoot it and stuff so like he was like thank god you're here you know, <laughs> he was putting up fires and doing all this other stuff <laughs> and paying for yourself yeah. Yeah. even better <laughs> yeah even better what was what was so great i mean it was the perfect way to use vince vaughn because mm -hmm. Vince is, you know, he's like this tall, handsome movie star and he, you know, he's playing this brutal killer. And so, but that wouldn't be as fun to watch for an hour and a half or two hours of Vince Vaughn as just the butcher. So this idea, which is, you know, the, the crux of the movie to have him body switch with a teenage girl, it really unlocked Vince's comedy and so, it, it, it just makes the movie so enjoyable for the viewer. I mean, I had I, I watched it when it first came out, and then knowing this interview was coming up, I watched it on uh, Delta Airlines. Shout out! All to right, Delta. All right, all right, it's all right. available on Delta. <laughs> it is. I flew <laughs> Delta here. Oh, nice. <laughs> God, the screens keep getting smaller for this movie. I know. <laughs> <laughs> What's next? Are you going to get a Apple pinhole watch, camera? Man. Yeah, Apple Watch. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, that that's a, a great first experience for awesome. you and 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 right cool. out of the gates you have success you have people talking about it it's like a profitable movie which you know is not a given in this day and age and so how long after freaky do you say like okay i have my next idea well it's weird like dirt chris and i um we we sold freaky like really quick like awesome. we had planned to take freaky out to the town on a Monday and we gave Blumhouse like first shot. Cause Chris has worked with them and I have a relationship with them too. So we gave the script to Jason Blum, who, if you're not familiar with him, he's like the king of horror, you know, yeah. like oh, cool. production company is like the, the king. Yeah, they're killing it. They're killing yeah, it. Yeah. They're killing it. They just signed a huge deal. They just, merged I think that's their motto. We merged with James Wan's company, you know, like heavy hitter. So we gave it to him on a Thursday and he bought it Friday. So we, it never got to go to town, but it eventually, that kind of became a thing. Like it was like, oh wait, these two dudes just sold the script in like 24 hours. Who the fuck is that other guy? <laughs> right. But like, cause everyone knew who Chris was. So then I started getting meetings really quickly. That's so cool. And I actually like, before I even left for Freaky, I had already closed another deal on a movie because this company was looking for a specific slasher film. And they had pitched me it and said, do you want to write it? So wow. that was how I got Dude. my second job. 
now do you like that model better because it's less work i mean theoretically you don't have to come up with the idea uh, that was the, ended up being the most work i've ever done on a project oh. <laughs> <laughs> because it like originated with the producer so oh so it's like rewrites or something i did yeah i was like insane that's for uh, it's a wonderful knife uh no that was another project oh, okay that never never ended up being made actually oh, okay wow uh because of constant rewrites uh, oh, right. so then because of that experience i that's when i started putting knife together on my own but it really started to pop when freaky came out you know it was a bummer it came out during a, a high point in the pandemic like right. the week it came out la and new york city both closed their theaters so like the friday we oh. were coming out it was like only 32 percent of the country's theaters were open Whoa. the freakiest friday yeah, yeah, it was freaky. Yeah. It was a freak Friday. Freaky it was a Friday the thirteenth. And it was a Friday the thirteenth, too. So oh, wow. wow. That's so good marketing. It was. And that's Universal stuck to it, not thinking maybe we wait a year to release this thing. Oh my God. Um, so it didn't do great in theaters be just because of the fact they weren't fucking open. Like yeah. I couldn't yeah. even go see my own movie that week. You know? That's sad. Um, God. But the critical the critical reaction was better than we expected. And then the industry reaction was insane. Like people all over the industry loved it, like execs and studio heads and stuff. So like soon as that movie opened by the start of 2021, I was in meetings like constantly. Wow. Well, that's great. And, and, and were you pitching or getting pitched or a, combo both. Move? a bit of both? Yeah. Yeah. Both. And then we had just finished lockdown too. Right. So I had, I had written it's wonderful knife during that. So like once lockdown was over, I took that script out and then, you know, put all those pieces together. That's why I produced that movie. Cause I basically put the whole movie together myself. Right. Cool. And uh, did you, did you have to meet with the uh, estate of Jimmy Stewart and Frank no. Capra to, to get that all cleared? <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh my God. Yeah. It was, uh, that was like weird though. Cause it was like all the pieces came together really quick on it, but then it still took like two years for it to get made. Right. Uh, so during those two years, I, I, yeah, I got a lot of work. I'm like really busy right now. Like crazy busy. It's so cool. Well, that's, that's the best way to be. Do you find that like, you seem to love the horror genre and just oh, yeah. want to yeah. stick. So you're not someone who's like, I, as soon as I can get it out of horror yeah, and yeah. then write, I'm going to write a fucking rom-coms that in the seventies. <laughs> no, I'm sticking to horror. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm finding like, I have, uh, top, I have four movies in various stages of, um, pre-production right now. Wow. Of wow. Development. And the thing that's great about the horror genre is all four of them are like very different, you know? So like, that's what I love. I, I can stay in the genre and not feel like I'm repeating myself. Yeah. Now, do so, you have do you have any uh, catchy titles that you want to throw at us for any of the ones you have? Uh, uh, there's one called Heart Eyes, which is after the heart eyes emoji. Uh, oh. Killer wears a mask of the heart eyes emoji. Oh, wow. Love that. <laughs> it's, it's I love that. I, I had an idea for you. I was thinking of this the other day. This is like a, my own personal horror movie. When you get a text from an unknown number that just says, hey. <laughs> just, totally just call the movie hey Gary, yeah hey yeah <laughs> i'm trying to figure out a way to write a horror movie that's just called you up oh yeah <laughs> i don't know what that story is yeah. uh, so, well and on a serious note when you write do you find like you have a title first and then you kind of go this would be a good title and that inspires a story or do you have a story first or do you just have like a particular way someone gets murdered first 
or is there no pattern at all? There's really no pattern. I mean, for Freaky, it was, um, I literally was watching Happy Death Day. And uh, <laughs> if you're not familiar with Happy Death Day, that's essentially Groundhog Day, the slasher. Right. But it's got a really strong emotional current to it. Um, and at the time, I didn't know Chris Landon yet. I knew of his work, but I didn't know him personally. And my dad had just died. And there's a scene in that movie where the main character is meeting her mother who's dead in her real life. Right. So to speak. So she's like, it's really emotional. I could actually cry thinking about the scene. Around. It's a really well-written scene. It's really emotional. Jessica Roth is so great in the scene and stuff. And I knew Chris's history. Like I knew his dad was Michael Landon. So like I knew his dad was dead. I knew his mom was dead and stuff. So I was like, right. I wonder if he's channeling like any of his grief in this, you know? And I like kind of broke down because my dad had died like three months earlier. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I like broke down and I was like, maybe I should do something like that. Maybe I should channel my grief into something like this. So then my next immediate thought was, so this is my genesis of freaky was how do I rip off happy death day? (laughs) I literally Googled best comedies of all time. And like, there was like a top 100 list and I was scrolling through the list and I found freaky Friday. Wow. So then I spent half a day Googling to see if that, because I was convinced that movie already existed. I was like, someone had to make a body swap slasher. Like, there has to be one. Like, it's such a great idea. Who, who, how am I the first person to think of this? Right. Sure enough, no one had thought of it crazily. So then that night, that night at two o'clock, the, I woke up from a dream and had like half the plot in my head. Wow. wow. I literally text myself like the Dola. I had the name of the knife. The Dola. I had how the body swap happened. I had like all this different shit. So I text myself it in the morning so I wouldn't forget. Smart. Uh, text myself so I'd wake up in the morning and read it. So that's how that kind of started. Knife was kind of like both. I knew I wanted to play in the same kind of sandbox as Freaky, and I knew I wanted to do a Christmas movie. So like those were yeah, the two things I knew smart. I wanted to do. So I said, well, what's what does a Freaky look like at Christmas? And I immediately thought of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, that's that great. Kind of started with a title in a way, you know. That's so smart. And and you and awesome and in now you have this thing. Because It's a Wonderful Knife, like Freaky had Vince Vaughn, It's a Wonderful Knife has Justin Long, yeah. who gives a fantastic oh, performance. I mean, first of all, his uh, his dentures deserve their own award. <laughs> like his, his fake teeth were so funny. Like it made that character like 20% funnier just by totally. his mouthiness when he would talk and smile. So in It's a Wonderful Knife, I, you know, I don't want to give too much away to the listeners, but you have this this really great thing where and you, both movies do this where they just once they start, you're in it right away. Like there's no a lot of horror movies have sort of like 35 minutes of buildup and then you realize kind of like what's going on. But in both Freaky and in It's a Wonderful Knife, you kind of get into it right away. Yeah. And It's a Wonderful Knife has this sort of an unexpected turn in the first 20 minutes where you kind of think to yourself like, well, is this movie over? Like what's happening? But then you have this great creative device where everything kind of changes up and you're back in this movie that you thought you were, you were out of. So when you're writing, when you're sitting down to write, did you have that sort of uh, plot scheme in mind? Or was that something that you're just like, Oh, this is cool as you were writing it. No, yeah, or I had did to you just dream it like you always do <laughs> <laughs> and text yourself you up and angry, <laughs> angry that someone got a moon idea in a dream. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, you and Paul McCartney. 
<laughs> very similar. Very similar. <laughs> um, I had two things in mind when I sat down to write it. Yeah. One was I knew I had the opportunity to write like basically an entire slasher movie in the first 15 pages. Yes. Because the first idea I had is, or first thought I had is, you know, when you watch It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart's only in I Don't Exist Land for like 15 minutes. It's like right. at the very end of the movie and stuff. So my first thought was, I want to move that up. That needs to be, that needs to happen at the end of Act One. Right. So then Act Two is like the big, you know, big long Act Two with that kind of stuff. And then, you know, short Act Three. So I knew that was going to be the case. And then once I figured that out, I was like, oh, the first act is essentially a mini slasher movie. Right. You know, mm. you kill a bunch of people, you identify who the final girl is, you identify the killer. And I also knew it was an opportunity to kind of do what Scream does so well, which is have a like a blow the doors off opening set piece. But then I also get to reveal the killer in the process. Yeah. Like it doesn't work if you don't reveal the killer in the first one. So you you seem to have this really good knowledge of structure which is something I envy. I don't have that. <laughs> when it comes this, to slasher movies, yes, I have a very good... Yeah, I mean, I, so this is my question. Is this just from a lifetime of enjoying these movies or, or oh, yeah. schooling or do you like books or just more your innate sense? It's it's definitely a lifetime of watching these things. Like I Once I became obsessed with slasher movies, I like spent... I had the best video store in college. I went to college at Bowling Green State University in Ohio which was like 25,000 students in, in a town of 30,000 people. And right. 25 of those were students, you know? So we have these like really awesome old school mom and pop video stores. And one of them, I remember in particular video spectrum, the dude loved horror. The guy that owned it loved horror movies. So yeah. half this, the, this old house he converted into a uh, movie store was a horror section. And he had so many horror movies that he literally had to flatten the cases and laminate them because he didn't have enough shelf space. So he oh, had wow record drawer you know like, <laughs> and i just ate them up like fucking like breakfast every day and my roommates thank god were super into movies and stuff too so like i would just come home some days with like the three most trashiest movies you could think of <laughs> and just really i don't know it was like a weird at the time i didn't realize i was doing it but i think it was like a mini little film school yeah, yeah that's so cool god yeah. I, miss, I miss video stores Me so too. much i do too but the other way too which you guys are going to be surprised by was when i was a pa at family guy i moved out to la to write and i thought i knew what the fuck i was doing i was at family guy for like two days and was like holy shit you have no fucking clue what's going on <laughs> you guys i don't know if you remember this but all you all you writers had all your scripts were in our office that got you hired on the show oh, so right. i remember that first week just taking home everyone's scripts and just reading them and really learning that's so wow. smart yeah through spec scripts and family guy scripts and like the first script i remember collating at family guy was cherries um and then there were none i think was the name yeah, of it yeah that's seth's favorite yeah and that's wow. like a really great structured script it was like perfectly structured by act and stuff too you know so like i, I learned a lot at family guy just reading all your guys shit well, that's amazing well wow. yeah cherry's a fucking great writer and that was yeah. that was an awesome script and seth yeah. always talks about how that's oh. his his favorite of all of them you um, do a sequel episode to that oh i'm sure he'd be into that we'll suggest <laughs> that and take full credit uh <laughs> Uh, now, so uh, Scream aside, because obviously that had a profound effect on you yeah. being the first horror movie you really ever sat through. What are some of your other favorite horror movies? I'm a classic person. Like I get, I actually get shit from other horror people sometimes because like, oh, you're so basic. But Halloween, right. um, Exorcist, uh, oh, 
Sure. The second Friday the 13th. We've talked about this. You and I have talked about this yeah. a lot. That was filmed in my summer camp. We moved oh, yeah? before. Yeah. That's that's right. Yeah. yeah. How cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those first two Friday the 13th really get don't get enough credit. I don't oh, think they're both so good. Fantastic. And I I love horror movies. And yeah, those first two Friday the 13th. Friday yeah. the 13th part two, you're you're dead on. That, that for yeah. some reason. And 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 what you know, what a lot of people don't know, is that the hockey mask doesn't come in until part three. No, and that's but, I think that's the scariest oh. Jason is in part two when he's wearing a when he's wearing a sack. A that sack over his head, so scary. scary. Yeah, um, but that Friday the Thirteenth Part Two is structured perfectly. Like it's got a perfect structure. It, every set piece is really well timed and suspenseful and stuff. I love that movie. And plus, then the chasing at the end of the movie, which is like twenty minutes. Uh, right. Yeah, I'm big on classics. The original Black Christmas, very spooky movie. Right. Jaws, um, yeah, love sure. Jaws, um, yeah. and then all a lot of the '90s stuff like Scream. Well, what stuff. do you do? You get into because Frank, I love horror movies as well, and some of the scariest ones I've ever seen are more modern, like a movie like uh, Hereditary hmm. or uh, The Conjuring. Like the Conjuring, are, are, really scary. Yeah, are these movies that you do you set out to watch all these movies as well? And do you enjoy the modern horror films? Oh, yeah. The thing I love about modern horror right now is I feel like every decade before the 2020s or even the 2010s, you could kind of define each decade by like what was popular in horror. Uh, you know, like the 60s and 70s was kind of like religious kind of horror, you know, with like the omen and the exorcist and Rosemary's Baby and that kind of stuff. Yep. And then the 80s was the slasher. And then the 90s was kind of the meta movie. Wow. Yeah. And 2000s was like torture porn. For lack right. Of Saw. <laughs> yeah, like Saw and Hustle and shit. Mm-hmm. The thing I love about now is that you can't define it by one subgenre because I think it's the first time in history where every single genre is popular and working in theaters and people are actually like leaving their house to go see a movie. Yeah. But I really love the way modern horror is just like you can get a different flavor. Yes. Like, by, just by you- looking up the movies for the week you know right right. (laughs) it's it's so interesting to me because it's 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 really a genre i struggle to watch because i'm so squeamish like i i it it almost works too well on me so i can't watch (laughs) the movies because i get terrified but like what is it in you that you think allows you to enjoy watching not enjoy necessarily but if i see someone get killed i'm like really disturbed like I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely disturbed by it. And how do you think intellectually you can compartmentalize like I'm being entertained versus like I feel actual horror when I watch horror and I don't enjoy feeling that way. Um, so I'm wondering like how you how that turns into relish. Well, you know, what's crazy. What's interesting is as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little more squeamish. You know, my friend Phil runs Fangoria magazine. He's the editor in chief. And he once wrote this piece about after he turned 40, he started feeling different watching scary movies just based on kind of what you were saying, Julius. And he was in his own mind, he was likening it to after 40, you're starting downhill and you're going towards death as opposed Mm -hmm. to going away from being born. So you start realizing your own mortality. And I think I kind of agree with him because I've noticed in some movies I like. I do have a different reaction than I would have 20 years ago. Like 20 years ago, I was like, fuck yeah, chop her head off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like now I'm, I, uh, 
and maybe that's why I write these these slashers that are a little bit more like like Alex said, like Hallmark. Well, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's so you you know add you know, some comedic elements. I mean, do you think are there movies that you watch that you're like that was genuinely disturbing? I thought Talk to Me was terrifying. I don't know if you saw Talk to Me. It's an A24 movie. It was, it's essentially a monkey paw type of thing. It's like that hand, right? Uh, and it like. It, it, like connects you to the dead and stuff. It's terrifying. Oh. There's a scene in that movie. Did you see it, JC? No, I can't. Yes, there's, there's a scene in that movie where I literally was in the theater. Like, oh, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through this movie. <laughs> oh my God. It must be terrifying. It was really scary and it's really well done. Um, and that's what I get through. If I get too scared or I feel like some sort of like, oh, I feel bad. Yeah. I start just then kind of thinking, oh, this is a really well-made movie then like yeah <laughs> well, well, they, directed it like they sure shit scare the shit out of me so they knew <laughs> what they're doing well let's yes. let's talk for a second because i feel like traditionally horror movies and comedies i think get overlooked when it comes to awards oh yeah um it, it's just sort of everybody feels comfortable saying like well that's a horror movie so we don't really have to look at it but when i was watching freaky i kept thinking like Boy, Vince Vaughn could have really been nominated for for something. Uh, he could have been nominated for a Golden Globe, if you ask me. Right, he's he, a Golden Globe because his performance was so fun, and also he did a lot. Like he, because he's Vince Vaughn, and yes, he's funny. He's got the rapid fire delivery. You know, he's uh, does all that stuff so well. We know that, but he was also really physically kind of transforming himself into a teenage girl in yeah. the movie, which is not, you know, not easy. It could have, it could become parody really quickly. Exactly. Like yeah. he didn't do the thing of like making it way over the top. So it was like, Oh, he's imitating being a girl. And now right. I find that offensive because it's 2020, right. but it was more like he just did a lot of little stuff with his physicality, with Lots. his line deliveries. Yeah. And what, what do you think it'll take? for a horror movie to break through. Honestly, no idea. If Tony Collette couldn't get nominated for Hereditary, I don't know oh. what. I mean, wow. that was like an amazing Wait, performance. Is Get Out considered a horror movie? Yeah. It is. So, was, yeah, that was yeah. like a breakthrough. I thought yeah. that might be like the thing that kind of busts the door open and maybe you'd start seeing more, but we haven't yeah. seen any since. You know, right. like, yeah. Um, but I, again, like Tony Collette, she doesn't get nominated for best actress best. for Hereditary. I don't know what it's going to take. Quite that frankly. was boy, her it's performance. amazing performance. So good, so tough so to watch. Especially in particular, her end in that movie. I was like, oh, the oh, ending what am I watching? I Fucking dinner scene where she tells her kid, like, wipe that face off your face. That whole monologue. Yeah, but then her Oscar reel. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah. Now, let's now let's talk for a minute about so the uh, the the killer, the angel uh -huh. in It's a Wonderful Knife. What a cool outfit. Where did, what was the inspiration for that that killer's outfit cuz I'd never seen anything like that before. Pretty cool, right? They so cool. uh so when I sat down to write it I knew I didn't want to do a killer Santa cuz that's kind of the way people always go in Christmas horror. If it's a slasher they always immediately put the killer in a Santa outfit. Right. Yeah. Then I started thinking about okay, like what's another what's another like uh kind of religious e figure that I could yeah. kind of like talk shit about quite frankly <laughs> right <laughs> old catholic like a anti-catholic catholic yeah <laughs> raised catholic um and then the other cool thing that I, I thought too was like oh i have snow i could kind of get away with the killer wearing all white 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, you know, we actually didn't have a ton of money, but there was supposed to be the first time he was supposed to be revealed was supposed to be like rising out of a pile of snow. So like oh. you'd walk by the pile and you wouldn't see the killer and then he would just rise out of it. Oh, that's just, good. That's yeah. Scary. Right. We didn't have the money to do, which sucked. Uh, you don't have the money for fake snow. <laughs> no money for the movie. Right. We shot the movie in 18 days. Wow. Um, yeah. I like was like, oh, we need to do this. I was like literally like giving back my paycheck like every page being like, here's a little more for this scene. Like it was nuts. Wow. So I knew I wanted all white. So then I just thought of an angel. So I was like, let's let's just call the killer the angel. So in the script, I actually describe it as the angel wearing white from head to toe with the white robe, a white mask, white, yeah. like white everything, and then a dagger that was gold and silver. So then the director, costume designer, and the production designer, they then sat down and had a meeting. And I, I only found this out recently. I guess the production designer in that meeting drew the dagger, which was great. She like, because we talked about, is the angel going to have wings? And we're like, that seems a little stupid to have a killer running around with these like giant wings, like yeah. by himself and run or anything. So she put those onto the, the the blade, which was really cool. And then they, the then the three of them and like the FX team, they just kind of came up with some mock-ups and stuff. Yeah. Uh, right. And the director, based on my description, then said he wanted the mask to look like a frosted light bulb. Oh, yeah, it did. The Christmas Christmas yeah. light bulb, so stuff can re like lights can reflect off it and stuff. So yeah, they did a really good job of kind of taking my very basic the killers wearing all white and <laughs> turned it into what they turned it in. In fact, I just got that costume shipped to me. Oh, yes. last week it's sitting in my house right now. Oh, oh that's going to be good yeah. for some for some pranks upcoming. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the mask though. I'm going to have to oh, steal the, the mask, mask from the director. But incredible. yeah, the mask is the best. And we had three different masks in the movie because we had like a all white one for close ups, yeah. but you like literally can't see out of it. Uh, I put that mask on for five seconds and I almost threw up inside it because <laughs> go wearing it. Whoa. And then we had like a kind of semi translucent one so he could, the killer, our stunt stunt person Cody could see if it wasn't like a chasing and stuff. And then he yeah. had one where it was like literally like eyes you see through. See. So yeah. he could like chase people and shit and they would digitally add Close the white. It looks so cool. Isn't and it cool? Like yeah. just it, instantly because of the outfit entered into the pantheon of Yeah, the we got a mask. lot of like a lot of great praise for it just because late of late the 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 slasher movies have kind of done mask with a black hoodie. Yeah. yeah. You, know, like, you know, we did the full costume, I think, for the first time in a while, which was really cool. And it that had was, an original look, you know, so. Absolutely. So cool. And now we, we talked a little bit before we started um, how when I, when I was on Wikipedia uh, preparing <laughs> for this interview, what it said about you was genre gay horror. <laughs> so now you mentioned earlier that, yes, you are gay. But does that does that categorization bug you? Because that didn't seem like what was going on to me at all. Um, you know, it doesn't bother me at all. Actually, I really embrace it. Um, oh, good. You know, when Chris and I wrote Freaky, we knew there was a really fun opportunity to kind of Trojan horse some conversation in about identity and that kind of stuff. You know, like, you know, we didn't want to do like, have you seen the hot chick? Yes. Yes. Fucking love the hot chick. Yeah. <laughs> it's so like misogynistic and like, right. you know, it just does everything so cheap. Yeah. Right. And Chris and I knew like we didn't want to do that, but we also knew we had an opportunity as queer, both being gay men to like kind of talk about some shit. And also like, you know, like the teacher that dies in that movie is based on a teacher I had. So whenever anyone's like that teacher's so unreal, Alan Ruck is so Alan unreal. Ruck. I'm like, oh, you want to, 
get my time machine and you'll see how my science teacher talked to me when I was 16 and asked me if I was gay in front of the entire class. Oh, oh God. God. Like, of course, we should cut him in half. Right. <laughs> I love that. It's so great, right? Like, yeah. it's like, ugh. And it was one take, too. Was right like, on the bandsaw. Uh, fuck you, Alan Rock. <laughs> Alan Rock is so great, though. Yeah. Um, so, so like we knew, yeah, we knew there was going to be some identity conversation. And then, and then the character of Josh is essentially the, the version of Chris, the version Chris and I wish we could have been as 17 year olds in high school, like the gay person we could have been like out and a little offensive and saying whatever he wanted and yeah. doing what he wanted and a great character talk about having sex with straight dudes who are drunk and like, just like <laughs> being a little inappropriate. And then with knife, it wasn't so much about that. But I knew as a producer and I knew my producing partners were very supportive. That was an opportunity where I'm like, I'm going to make every single person in this movie a homosexual. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think there's seven gay people in the movie and there's two non-binary characters. And I like of the cast, I think 10 of them were queer. Like, so I think people, yeah, I I take it as like a banner, like a badge badge of honor because like, if if I'm not going to do it, who's going to do it? So yeah. Everything I write has either a gay character, a gay theme, something, you know. Well, and also it's you're in step with the times. I mean, yeah, like, I mean it's, it's like these people exist. They they walk yeah. around your town all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> and know? so like I, I and I found it funny because I noticed uh when the movie came out on your Instagram, you were yeah. reposting like angry comments from people oh, who had watched I it, who that. were like, I liked the movie, but the gay agenda, you yeah. know, and it was just like... ramming gayness down my throat. Voice <laughs> <laughs> of words. I know. Well, it must make it easier for you to spot the gay people out there when you're like, yeah. oh, this guy's gay. He's really <laughs> angry about it. <laughs> and I actually like, I pitched to the studio, like taking all those reviews and turning them into an advertisement. And like, they wouldn't do it. I'm like, oh. what, what are you, what are you afraid of? Like, <laughs> yeah. what, you know, I forget what movie it was. Is it Thanksgiving Eli Ross movie? There was a movie recently where they did that. The studio. They, took the I'm the not joking. They tried it with dads. They tried oh, to they take really? all the like offensive reviews and make That's a promo. That's so smart. And yeah. it just. It didn't it's work. So smart. <laughs> nothing. Work. Nothing could save us at that point. Well, let me let me ask you a, a a side question. Like, do you find that your experience in this genre and your knowledge of it and your creating, when a crime is committed, do you think you're more adept than the average person at sussing out what happened? True <laughs> crime. I, uh, you know, what's funny though, is like when I watch my husband and I love Dateline. We do, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking so good. Yeah. He gets so mad at me when we watch Dateline because usually like midway through, I'm like, oh, he did it. And this is why. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, do you think you legitimately could aid an investigation? I probably could. That's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's talking to you. Any I feel like you should. Cops do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they don't solve shit. So like, Mm-mm. yeah, I think I can aid an investigation. You know, it's funny is like, I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I have, I, I always had this fantasy of like going to a small town, like Stephen King writes or something and like being like, I'm going to spend my summer here writing a screenplay. And then right when I get there, a murder happens. Yes. I spend the summer having to clear my own name. <laughs> it's like, Oh, the new guy came and there's a murder in town. So right. and he's I writing a that. horror movie. And- <laughs> <laughs> That's another movie in and of itself. Yeah. But- 
meta. You're, you know, I, I love Dateline as well. No, we have. Uh, I almost want to get murdered on this Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael can solve it. And yeah, write we, a movie about it. We had, uh, we had Josh Mankiewicz from Dateline on here. Did you uh, really? Yeah, we interviewed him a couple months ago. And yeah. we, loved, we loved him. He was great. Yeah. He was such his a... His suit, the guy that makes his suits made Brian and I suits for our wedding. What? Wow. <laughs> how did that come up? So we were, we, I forget how we found him. I think our wedding planner recommended him to us and then so we went to his website and there's pictures of josh mankowitz all over <laughs> that's awesome. he's, he's, i want to look literally like the like, guy we, from dateline yeah. at that moment we were like we gotta hire this guy <laughs> when yeah. your, your male model is mank on your, uh, on your <laughs> that's page awesome. that's funny but i do notice something that they do on dateline and maybe you pick this up and what's annoying to your husband is it, it, within the first 20 minutes of dateline they'll often say like then Rebecca was in Sioux City living with her, you know, living with a roommate who came from San Jose. And then they don't talk about that roommate right. for 20 minutes. And you're like, yeah. it's that oh, roommate it's the they room. casually mentioned. <laughs> the roommate's coming back. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. They, they love to do that. They um, love to do that. It's like Law and Order SVU. Yeah. They always like to do that too. Yeah. They, yeah. They, they, yeah. You drive past the murderer yeah. and then you go back to him. Yeah. I also love SVU. My favorite thing that SVU does though is they try to throw the scent off you. So, like, say it's Julius is the actual killer. Right. They send like two acts making it look like you, Alec. Yes. And instead <laughs> of it just being like, I don't know, you're on the street or something, they end up finding out that like you have dead bodies in your house anyway. <laughs> like, you didn't commit the other crime, but you're like committing a really bad crime. Also, <laughs> I, I love SVU as well. Uh, so let's let's go back a little bit because you mentioned uh, that you you were working uh, on Family Guy as a PA. How did that come about? Mark Huntman. Oh wow! He, uh, I moved to LA, and weirdly enough, my brother, his friend from high school, is a lawyer in Cleveland, and he worked for the same firm that Mark's dad worked at. Oh wow! wow. When I was moving, that chain kind of got connected. And I talked to Mark on the phone before I moved. And he said, when you get out here, let me know. I'll have you come in for a table read. So I did that. And then like a week or two later, there was a PA position open. And I interviewed for that. Didn't get it. Right. And then six months later, um, they needed a PA like in a day. Wow. Two days. It was like one a weird situation. I get a call from Kim Furtman. And she's like, we need, can you come in tomorrow to meet with us? Um, so I did. And then she's basically like, do you want the job? That's uh, awesome. We need you to start right away. So yeah, it was Mark. I, and then I ended up later on finding out that when that second occurrence happened, I guess Mark went into Shannon's office and was like, can you just hire that kid from? Oh, <laughs> that's nice. That's awesome. we yeah. Love, we, we love yeah. Mark. We love, love Mark. Mark. We should we yeah. should have Mark uh, as a guest on this program, but I wouldn't want to put you through it, JC, of cutting out all the uhs and ums. <laughs> that would be, that would be I your. Mark doesn't remember that story either. So if you ask, uh, him, of course he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good job, Mark. Uh, God, so nice of him. He's really such a, he's such a nice guy. He really and is. so I remember when you were at. Family Guy, you gave me a spec script yeah. that you had written, and it was great. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was off the top of my head, but do you remember what that script was? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that this morning. I was like, wait, didn't Alec? Because I was like, Alec was kind of responsible for me getting on Border Town. Um, it was a. I remember it was called Sisters. Right. I think it was about 
two sisters that lived together and they hadn't spoken to their youngest sister in like five years. And she shows up on their doorstep one day being like, I need a place to live. Right, right, right. She's right. like a total cunt. Like, it's a great word. Yeah. And so like the other two are just kind of like, just, you just said a way better title than sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out she's like pregnant. Her boyfriend is cheating on her and stuff. So like the, it was essentially, it was like the, the younger estranged sister. The, the, and this is this is how things work in Hollywood often. Um, because you gave me the script. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great. I gave it to my wife, Tal, who yes. uh, was, a, was an executive at NBC. Yeah. And she wasn't at that time. I think she had just left, but she still had a lot of friends there. And she loved it. And yeah. she passed it along to them. And... The, then NBC didn't didn't hire you. Like I ended up meeting on um, it was Sean Hayes's like sitcom. Something saves the world. Something yeah, I think it was called Sean world. Saves the World. Yeah, ended up meeting on that because of the script with Victor oh. um, Fresco. Fresco. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I ended up meeting on that because of Tall and you. Amazing. Uh, well, they should have hired you because that was <laughs> it was a great script and and I mean it's another classic case of like they got it wrong because. Listen, it, the way things worked out for you, thank God they didn't hire you because yeah, you might it, be toiling as a co-producer on some NBC show that no one watches, but instead you've created or some show. Right, right. <laughs> that was one of their shows. I forget. It wasn't called that, but it was something like veterinarian wacky yeah. guy. I, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I think about that a lot, actually, like, because because of that spec, though, I, Mark ended up getting it. Uh, and then I ended up talking to him about border town and then he read a sp another spec of mine uh he I, he I had written an always sunny in philadelphia script and he had read right. that and then met with me and hired me on border town awesome after border town though i had like a really low point i like couldn't find work and my agents didn't want to do anything for me and then i ended up having to go back to family guy in production and right. i remember like coming back into the family guy with my tail between my legs <laughs> but i also knew like i don't know i needed to eat yeah. Uh, yeah. Like need to be able to get sick and not, you know, like be able to go to the doctor and stuff. So well, Shannon thankfully like brought me back in. Yes. And Kara and Shannon, yeah. they were really supportive. Well, they're there. I wanted to point that out too, because uh, Kara, who you mentioned is Kara Vallow, who's our head of production and, and Shannon is basically her, her right hand woman. And yeah. they, they run the production side of the show so well. And they have always also been your champions. Oh, like yeah. They, they, I, the, the way that they root for you and pull for you and try to help you was, was really great. So, I mean, yeah. what, that, was, that was a blessing to get to work for them. Honestly, like being going back was not only like super humbling, but also like a relief. It really... I don't know. It's I, I tell friends this who struggle now. I'm like, you need like, I think if you got a job, you'd feel really good about yourself. Like I remember yeah. leaving days, not or like going there and being like, writing, I want to be in a room, blah, blah, blah. But also leaving some days and being like, thank God for this place. Like, right. Yeah. You know, it, 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 and like, I remember when I started, Shannon's like, we'll put final draft on your computer, even though you don't need it. And like, the job isn't going to be super demanding at times. So like, feel free to write. If you need to go to meetings, just let us know like the day before, like they were so wow. amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, I left to go. I like hadn't quit my job yet, but I, they let me leave to go to set for freaky. Wow. Like Kara yeah. and Shannon were like, we'll put you on leave for a few weeks. 
That's awesome. Um, So like I actually quit my job while I was on set because while I was on set, my second script sold. Yeah. So I called Shannon and gave my two weeks. And I don't think I would have done this in any other job. I actually flew back to LA and did my two weeks. Wow. Oh, like I felt like I was my responsibility to help them find a person and also just not leave them hanging. That's the Cleveland. That's the the Midwest. (laughs) Pale blue collar. Like I went to Atlanta for three weeks, came back to LA, did my final two weeks at Family Guy, and then went back to Atlanta for the final three weeks but of the show. Weren't shoot. you like head of IT when when yeah. you came back? Like that's when I worked with you, that's what you were. And- yes, and I have no IT now. <laughs> but Shannon told me what she really wanted, which they never had before, is they always had like a tech person running IT. So like just imagine a tech person doing clerical work. Right. <laughs> but like, someone who did IT in the 90s, 99% of it is just restarting your computer. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Literally I'm every time. IT. That was how I helped. Did you try restarting your computer? <laughs> yeah, totally. Work. Um, but they uh, they want it. I'm super organized and like uh, almost OCD when it comes to that kind of stuff. When I was mm-hmm. Shannon's assistant, she was always like, thank God you're here. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what I did for IT because I had no fucking clue. I feel like is is an alternate version of this is you were so publicly known for writing about killing people that no one wanted to cross you for fear of being Because <laughs> I would be like, oh, we can't really fire that guy. Yeah. <laughs> all he does is think about murder all day. I know, we'll wind up in a meat hook somewhere. Yeah, he'll end up in a meat grinder. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, I forget where this started, but it was, yeah, it was a really, it was, I'm really thankful for. Well, it, you made a good point, which is, People who are struggling sometimes, you know, when I was doing stand up and there was eight years of this where I was doing IT, I had to go to a job. A, it gives you insight into how people and your characters can function in the world because that's what yeah. most people do. And B, it lights a fire under your ass because you go, I don't want to be doing this. Yeah. And then C, it's good to have a place to go psychologically. Yeah, I mean, it makes you feel good about your. I don't know, for at least for me anyway, it made me feel good about myself at the end of the day. Like, did I love it? No, but I also knew like it was 9.30 to 6. I wasn't going to be at the office till 10 o'clock ever. You know what I mean? Like I knew it was very structured and stuff. And like, I don't know, it made me really, I, I, the way I put it now is like it really made me appreciate the no's in my life. And, yeah. You know, yeah. I was trying to put myself in a box I wish I could appreciate the nose in my life. <laughs> I knew, knew I was going to say that. But like, had I had I continued on Border Town, like, you know what I mean? And like, I wrote a pilot between Border Town and Freaky. Like, I wow. sold a pilot pitch to the CW, and I actually wrote that at Family Guy as well too. And I was really bummed when it didn't go forward. But like, had that gone forward, Freaky never would have been made because Just I would say it. You'd be us. You can say <laughs> it. <laughs> it was an hour long. It was an hour long pilot. Uh, so I would have been stuck in Vancouver shooting that pilot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm really thankful for the way it turned out because I was always trying to put myself in a box that I don't think wanted me in a box that I ultimately now look back on and didn't want to be, don't want to be in. Like yeah. I know myself now and I like yeah. found my lane and that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of that has to do with rejection. Like, I don't know. Rejection how, do you, be great. how is it possible for you? What is it that motivated you and motivates you to keep writing, like 
for a lot of people, yeah. the fear of going back to a full-time job is to be like, I'm too tired to write. I'm right. too tired to do this. But it clearly you have a passion. But were, was there ever a time where that you kind of wanted to just be like, I can't write today? Oh, so many times. There'd be, many, <laughs> yeah. there'd be months when I was working at Family Guy the second time where I wouldn't write a shit. You know, like I just didn't have it in me. I went through highs and lows, but I also thankfully had my husband. He was, you know, my boyfriend at the time. And like, he was very, very instrumental in all of this happening. You know, it was his idea when I was unemployed and looking for a TV writing, a half hour sitcom job or whatever. He read this script of mine, unbeknownst to me, this slasher movie I'd written. He read it and he like, was like, this is a really good script. Like, what are you going to, you should do something with this. So I put together a big table read and stuff and like. I cold emailed big producers. Like I emailed Jason Blum, which you're not supposed to do. But at that point I was just like, fuck it. I don't care if someone gets mad at me. Yeah. And Jason Blum emailed back and was like, I'm going to send one of my execs. And they didn't buy the script, but I became friends with that exec. And then we started hanging out socially. And then like, next thing you know, they're starting a podcast network. So then they asked me to start a queer horror podcast. So like that's, and then I got Chris Landon to come on that show through them. So that's how I met Chris. And that's how we became, you know what I mean? Like there's so yeah. many weird steps to all this. That's great. Uh, yeah. It's like, I'm really, so like, the, yeah, but there were definitely days where I was like, I don't want to do this. But then there was always the thing in the back of my head being like, I don't know what else to do. Right. Well, I don't that, have skills for anything. <laughs> well, Michael, God, you know, it's been so awesome just watching your rise, you know, you, you, because you were, you are such a cool, funny guy, nice guy, good worker. And that's something that, you know, we people notice the writers notice when there's a good PA versus a PA who's yeah. just kind of like, you know, out of it and in it for, for themselves. You were always a good worker, a good PA. Then to have this talent at writing, which was evident from that early cunt script, I would say, <laughs> you know, it was right away we could all see that. So it's just so gratifying to see you doing what you want to be doing and doing it so successfully. So, Michael, thank you for talking to us today. Yeah, thank you. Congratulations on all your success. And please come on again when you're releasing your next movie. Uh, Yeah, my next movie comes out, I think, next February. So, All right, well, that's too soon. But we'll have you on for the movie after that. February 2025. (laughs) Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> great, great. And then we're, we're, we're set. Let's book that. All right, Michael Kennedy, Thanks, thank guys. you so much for being here today. Thank you so thank much. You. Oh, boy. Michael Kennedy, what a, so what a nice guy. So fun to talk to, yeah. and I'm so happy for all his success. Is, is he the best Kennedy out there now? Oh, <laughs> he probably he might be. Kennedy. He might be way ahead of RFK Jr. <laughs> uh, that was fun talking with him. Thank you, yeah. Michael Kennedy. And now it's time for the part of the show we call Top Five. Top Five. Oh, boy, do we sound good. All right, this is my Top Five this week. Mine. And uh, the Top Five this week are Top Five Songs of This Century. Top Five Songs. May I ask you a question before we begin? Yes. Could a song come out in the year 2000 and be on this list, or is it 2001 oh. and after? Yeah, people love that debate. I think if it's 2000, you're safe. I think it's okay. fine. Yeah. Phew. <laughs> All right, here we go. Number five for me is a little ditty called As It Was by Harry Styles. Love wow. that song. Love it, love it. Takes me okay. to a very relaxing place. 
Number four is a song called Get Lucky by Daft Punk. Yes. Very catchy. Yes. Could listen to that one forever. And number three uh, by DJ Mark Ronson, oh. Uptown Funk. Oh. Love Uptown Funk. Number two, and I had to really fight to not make all of these Radiohead songs. So the one that I picked <laughs> at number two is a song called Weird Fishes. Oh, I yes. love very yes. much. And the number one song for me gets me very pumped up. And now I have to block out who sings it is Stronger by Kanye West. Oh, wow. That song. That's your number love one. It, it cool. is. All right. JC, what do you got? Okay, um, my yeah. number five is a song by Frank Ocean called Lost. Okay. So good. I like my oceans, Billy. Thank you very much. <laughs> I also love Billy. Okay. <laughs> um, my number four is a song called Maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That was in rock band. I remember hearing that all the time. Oh, that's funny. No, I played that. I don't overlap. remember. Ooh, overlap, yeah. lap, laps. Lap, lap, lap. Okay, number three by Childish Gambino. This is America. Oh yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Dak, it's just so powerful. Dak. Number two, Radiohead, Idiotech. Idiotech. Yeah. Yes. Good one. Good one. Oh my gosh. And my number one is a very female, <laughs> very <laughs> pop. Oriented number one, Britney Spears, Toxic. Yep. Oh, so good. <laughs> okay, uh, number five, and this is why I asked that question up top. Yeah. Yes. Cold plays yellow. Oh, so, I oh, love that song. We got the stars. Number four, I, I alluded to overlap, and here it is. It's over map. <laughs> over map. <laughs> Maps awesome. by the yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Number three, 99 Problems. Yeah. Nice. Very good. Number two, Miley Cyrus, Wrecking Ball. Oh, I almost had Party in the USA. <laughs> and number one, you're either going to love me or hate me for this. I stand by it. The song that tricks me into thinking I can dance. <laughs> Blurred lines. Oh, wow. <laughs> all right. It makes you feel a certain way. We respect that. Da -da 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 -da. Um, all right, Goldie, it's you next week. What do you got? The top five side dishes. Ooh. Oh. Have we had that? I don't think we have. No, I don't think so. Awesome. I love it. Oh, can boy. be any ethnicity, any type of food. Yeah, we love it. Side dishes. Love it. There we go. Love it. Love, love me some sides. Um, all right. Well, that was fun. We look forward to that next week. Um, but now let's close the show as we do every week on a high note. Oh, Tom and Max, thank you very much. Um, my high note, I'm sure this will piss Goldie off, but Goldie, my high note is you. Oh. Because not only did you just blow us away with that Golden Globes uh, monologue last week. I was laughing about it all week and just was in awe of your, yeah. your talent and ability in that area. But also, we went to the TED premiere. You and I were seated right next to each other. Oh, I love it. And there was Goldie on the big screen in his part that he talked about 
you know, almost a year ago shooting and you were awesome. You were Mm -hmm. very funny and you did not have that thing that so many writer actors have where red light itis, where when you're on camera, you can see it all over their face that they're not an actor. I believed that you were an angry teacher in that moment and I thought you did a fantastic job. So Goldie is my high note. Wait, Uh, I'm sorry. I appreciate that. Go uh, go ahead, Jason. I wanted to go next because this was not planned. Not planned, but you are also my high note. Whoa, whoa. This is overkill. Yeah, no, because I watched the TED premiere. No, it's literally written down, Goldie in TED. That's my high note. There you go. And Stu and I watched it. It literally, you, they should, you should, they should have a show just based on that character. We would, I would watch that in a heartbeat. It was so funny. You were a scene stealer. Yes. And because you had mentioned you would be in another episode, I continued to watch all the episodes so I could see your next scene. And was you, I or was I cut? No, you were not I cut. You were amazing. <laughs> it was hilarious. No. Yes. Uh, I very much appreciate it. That's very kind of you both. I. It's funny. I was going to talk about this up top, but so the experience of seeing yourself on a gigantic screen... <laughs> So I was like, okay, I, I'm I'm fine with the performance. Like I wasn't critical at all. I was I was I You're wasn't so like good. I'm amazing, but I was like, okay, I, I did well enough that I'm not I'm not gonna think about this anymore. I don't that have says to a worry. Lot. That says a lot. Totally. But what I was was fixated on was I was like, oh my god, I have the droopiest eyelids. What the fuck? No. I was like, my <laughs> eyes are so fucked up. One is lower than the other. They're so droopy. And then I was at the party afterwards, and I was like, how am I even going to talk to anyone? My eyes are, are <laughs> fucking the weirdest things I've ever seen. Uh, and so I instantly understood how you become one of these plastic surgery monsters. <laughs> like, it's it's like, I, if, if I did this for a living, I would be like Kenny Rogers, where I would be like, my whole face would be peeled back. I would have doll hair to my eyebrows, and my nose would be, like, shaved I, because I was you horrified. Can do that? I mean, you can do that? <laughs> And it's like the character, the character is this, you know, stupid teacher. So you go, yeah, it doesn't matter if if you, you're not supposed to be handsome in that part. You're supposed to look like there's a sense of desperation. But I, I, I mean, I, I just was, was horrified. And then when they went behind me and they showed the guy from behind, it's like the bald spot and the saggy butt. And I was like, oh my God. This is a disaster for me. But anyway, I, I do appreciate it. <laughs> well, it yeah, was, it's uh, funny. Now now I'm remembering as we were walking out of the theater, you said that, that your eyes were off kilter, and I, I did not yeah. notice that. No, yeah. I didn't. No, I that was, I mean, I so I locked in on that instantly. <laughs> of course. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I'll just say my high note. Uh, I, I had something else planned, which is that, you know, I'll, I'll say two things, which is, you know, both my kids have now had COVID and the flu. And this is the first day in a month. They're both at school. And that my wow. uh, my wife, my wife really shouldered the burden of my that God. and uh, slept in their rooms with a mask on, et cetera. So oh, wow. hats right. off to her. Yeah. I also want to say that having worked on Ted and now seeing the show, I thought the scripts were funny and the table so reads good. were good, but you just never know. In, I loved and, it. And, and the show just went away because of the animation that like we saw nothing for over a year to the point where I was very concerned they're hiding it from us because it's they're trying to fix it or they don't know what wow. to do or no. This show is so 
goddamn funny. It is. It is really funny. <laughs> Legitimately. Yes. Like, I'm very proud to have been involved with it. And I, you know, I just I've I've now seen half the episodes and it went from something that I was, you know, I didn't know how it was going to turn out to just going, oh, this is really I love great in a way that you don't see a lot of comedies anymore. Yeah. I mean, that scene in the second episode where Ted is on John's shoulders in the overcoat and they're just <laughs> destroying the store walking yes. through it. <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. It for was me. very funny. Yeah. It so, was very funny. And I hope people are able to watch it. Yeah. And it's, it's setting so all good. kinds of records on Peacock in terms is of it? like most so. stream. Well, here's the thing. It, it set the record for most streamed original show on Peacock. And I was straining to think of one other. But MacGruber. <laughs> MacGruber. Oh, MacGruber. I, oh. Okay, I yeah, take one. that, MacGruber. And yeah. Bupkiss. I'm going to shoot. I don't know what that is. Oh, and no, Bupkiss. That's Pete, that's Pete Davidson's show, Bupkiss. Oh, right. Pete and right, Dave right. Cyrus, yeah. Well, congrats to you, Goldie. Congrats, congrats. to yeah. everyone who was involved with uh, the TED show because, yes, as you said, it, it is really legitimately, like, hard laugh funny, which yeah. uh, yes. is, is not easy to do. Um, well, that was a fun show this week. Yes. Again, Michael Kennedy, you were awesome. Thanks for being here. Thank you Thanks, all Michael. for listening. Thank you two for being awesome. Thank and you. we will talk to you again next week. Don't put a Jacob Alardi foot here. And it stops right now. Or did you just dream it like you always do?